This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Highway on my podcast with Rocky Mayur and Abhinandan. We're back! We're and we are with the two biggest men in Indian food and travel, Rocky and Mayur. <laughs> you usually say we are hungry, but I thought we were angry. Did you say angry today? We are also angry. We are never angry. We are calm like icicles. Standing also sharp. Also is Prashant Sareen, producer of Retro Extraordinaire. Not icicles, but popsicles. You know, icicles, like, cool and sharp. Yeah. Popsicles are not sharp. Like popsicles. Popsicles are sweet. We are not sweet. Okay, <laughs> okay. let's... let's, let's <laughs> on. My name is Abhinandan Sekri. I'm trying to make sense of this conversation. And I am not a popsicle. <laughs> and, and this is Highway on my podcast where we take you out on the highway until you can get on the highway. We will bring the highway to you. And this episode is not, it was supposed to be, we thought we'd do Goa, but in light of what happened yesterday, where uh, 20 of our brave soldiers were martyred, we figured since we have done a show with almost, I think, 24 episodes, if I'm not wrong, with the armed forces, and that is amongst other stuff we've done with them, but this was a show that was dedicated to the forces where we went and, well, I won't say we trained like them, but we did, Rocky and Mew did participate in many of their activities, right from the harshest deserts to the icy peaks of the Siachen camps. Uh, we figured we'd dedicate this episode to that. So, Rocky, Mayur, Prashant, you know, we shot a show called Jai Hind with Rocky and Mayur. So, let's start with the icy peaks and then we'll make our way down to the deserts and, you know, share with our listeners the experience of, of training with some really young young people and the kind of harsh conditions they were in. I and mean, when you saw this news on what happened up there at about 15,000 feet in China, and apparently it was armed to a hand-to-hand combat, it wasn't even guns fired. Do you recall what kind of experiences you had when you had gone to the high-altitude warfare training? Like, like, what is the kind of... I mean, I would have thought that we are in 2020, any battle engagement that happens will be with guns or even smart bullets and you know, we've reached that level. And here you hear about clubs wrapped in barbed wire, people are being clubbed. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, let me let me just start by saying I don't like the word martyred. I mean, Osama bin Laden is a martyr for Al-Qaeda and ISIS and all these things. It has a very religious connotation. The army uses KIA, that's killed in action. I think that is the right word to use. Our soldiers are patriots. They are warriors. They are the greatest soldiers on earth. Definitely the best mountain soldiers in the world, which is the scenario right now that we are facing. And even the Chinese army has agreed several times that these are the best soldiers in the mountains. And we have one of the finest armies and one of the finest traditions of fighting men in the world. But I don't like the word martyred and I won't use it. You, of course, are free to use it if you like. Well, uh, but I, actually, I, I read somewhere it has religious connotations. Yeah. In it fact, does. I about, like, yeah, it good. does. And I, I won't use it. But, but I want to say this. You know, I remember being at those altitudes. We had shot at Siachen and we, we were at Siachen or we were, you know, at, at the passes going through to the difficult situations at Hawes and we were heading to our destinations. The most difficult thing was taking even a few steps and not being out of breath. You know, if you think 100 yards, walking 100 yards is easy. It is very easy when you're in the plains. But up in those mountains, 100 yards is, is like climbing a mountain. It is very, very difficult. And these these men, these brave, gallant men operate in those heights. So hats off to them right at the start. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's incredible. Uh, Prashant, you had gone to Hawes with Rocky and Mayur. 
you you yeah. recall like what what altitude were you guys at were you at 15000 16000 well, horse is not terribly uh, you know it's it's i mean the altitude is it's high but it's not it's not 15000 feet 15000 feet actually takes i mean it just empties your body out of all oxygen you literally down to about 40 40% of oxygen right so your your lungs are working your body is working in in a different zone altogether and it's it's extremely difficult to do anything arduous there you know let alone trying to club your enemy to death or yeah, to yeah. trying to sort of balance precariously on that tiny ledge and with the raging river down below in the gorge i mean i can't even begin to imagine as the sun is setting and this you know this club fight is happening what the soldiers must be going through and how much courage you need to be just standing there and you know dealing with the enemy no it's incredible yeah. i mean we were when we were in siachen yeah it's it's really quite quite in, incredible and you know the cold the discomfort you can't breathe your nose is dry you know you have these heavy layers of clothing of course that said you know the army has a when we went to shoot when we went up to siachen which which is i think almost 13000 feet they they were very careful to acclimatize us at various heights you know no 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 prashant siachen siachen we started shooting at the base camp which i think is 17000 no 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 siachen base camp is not 17000 it's 13000 feet and and uh, you know it, it's not higher than khardungla it's not higher than khardungla it's like khardungla khardungla is 18 and a half and i remember in fact i'll after mayur speaks i'll tell you i, I had one very vivid memory of khardungla so uh, so you know they have a very rigorous method of acclimatizing soldiers it can take anywhere between 15 to 20 or 2 to 3 weeks basically before they go to that operating height that they are going to be operating at so they are very very careful but in spite of that i mean you know somebody coming from telangana or somebody coming from tamil nadu from like zero altitude here and going fighting an enemy at 15000 feet I mean, you have to be the bravest of the brave. Like one of the officers who who did uh, who was killed in action is from the south. Right, right. Colonel Babu. In fact, the first three names that they gave out, one was from Tamil Nadu, one was from uh, from Telangana, uh, uh, and, and I think the other one from uh, Madhya Pradesh. Bihar. We had some Bihar. Bihar. That's right. Mayur, your recollection of of being up there? I think just the primary reason we did uh, Jai Hind was, you know, to like share with everybody. really the inside story of 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 the training of the tools of of the motivation and the stories of of uh, and so i mean here it's also important we're talking about the conditions also but also the rigorous training i mean how hard uh, that training is i mean way down at sea level when we trained with the ninth, with the with the paras uh, we remember how, how the sort of training that they do like skinny men taking 12000 calories worth of food just to be able to like exercise every day and all now take that same level of training and take it like prashant said to a place where there's like 50 or 60% uh, oxygen in there and and for them to be able to operate under this and the sort of training that they get i mean i just want you guys to remember and, and i think rocky is best suited to share that you know when you not only are you fighting the enemy there you're also fighting the environment so up there remember they had training for when you get buried under an avalanche like you know how you can rescue yourself and then rescue everybody else so there you're battling enemy you're battling environment you're battling fatigue and despite all that these people go through all that training and then they are there 24/7 you know doing their duty defending the nation i mean rocky rocky will share what it's like i mean just being buried under a little bit of snow for a little bit of time yeah i remember in a few episodes ago he had uh, told us about how how horrible that feeling was but you know when we were at khardungla we had gone up there for one shot for those of you who don't know khardungla is the 
highest motorable pass in the world. It's, I think, 18 and a half thousand odd feet. And I was blown away. Of course, it was very cold. You weren't there in peak summer. And I remember this Sardarji, this tall, strapping Sardarji. He was carrying a bucket, I don't know, maybe from like one little tent to the other. And he had chappals on. And I looked at him, I was like, dude, like I'm freezing. I have like three layers of jacket. He had Hawaii chappal, rubber chappal. <laughs> and he was just, you know, I think because we had gone to them all morning because he wanted to get the sunrise shot. So he must have been brushing his teeth. And I was like, how, how acclimatized has this guy got? So the toughness that these guys have is indisputable. And one little story, Prashant will remember, uh, you know, back when we were, had gone to shoot the chadar in Ladakh, Prashant, yeah. we were having dinner with the GOC there. And while we were having dinner, because, you know, someone we knew was, was commanding there, a young man, I think he must have been 24, I think he was a captain or a second lieutenant. He said, sir, I'm leaving. It was around 9.30 at night. Uh, he said, okay, fine. You know, communicate when you're there. After he left, we said, where's he going? He said, he was taking six. They were Bofors guns, right, Prashant? That's correct, yeah. And there's a Swedish truck called the Scania, which tows these yeah. guns. And these six guns had to go across the Khardungla to, I think, South Kullu or North Kullu. And this young 24-year-old, I mean, here, I would not trust my 24-year-old nephew with my car. He was taking these six guns across one of the most treacherous roads. And in the morning when Prashant and I drove, started driving to Kargil, we passed that guy. That means he had been all night because, of course, those guns take, I mean, they negotiate those turns at a much slower speed. And it was morning when we guys, he was zipping to Kargil and we passed him. He was still on his way. I was like, my God, can you imagine the pressure these guys operate under? And yet, he says, and when he saw us, he waved with a smile on his face being up all night. Uh, so hats off. And you know what really makes my blood boil is when I see on the primetime television, the buffoon sitting and jumping to fight. And I said, you know, just go there for a week, report from there, put your studio up there, then talk. You know, we harm an institution when we don't, when we, when this buffoonery on television that we see night after night after night, I mean, we harm an institution by that. You know, an institution like the Indian Army that can turn a 22-year-old, 23-year-old, 24-year-old into, you know, a responsible young leader who's leading his men and taking equipment worth crores and crores of rupees across one of the most treacherous roads and full of beans, full of confidence. I mean, that is the kind of thing that we should be celebrating. Instead, what we see is at the senior level, you know, these retired fogies. I mean, stay at home, dude. It's COVID time. Just stay at home. Stay in your bedroom. Don't make noise. You know, and they just, they, they're not in touch with the reality on the ground. They know nothing of what is happening, how things have changed. You know, if, 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 if I've operated 20 years back and then I take that as a paradigm and I start spewing venom and spewing my opinion 20 years hence, I mean, I'm so out of date here. Yeah. I think the basic thing is, when you talk about a fighting unit, if you ask the Indian Army, are you prepared to fight? What do you think the answer is going to be? Of course they're prepared to fight. Yeah. It's one of the greatest armies in the world. If you ask them that question a hundred times, they'll answer you a hundred times and say, yes, we're prepared to fight. But the point is, are you prepared to... There must be a reason. I mean, defending your country, yes, by all means. Any encroachment into India, yes, fight, by all means, fight. But this kind of nonsense that is easily avoidable, I mean, we've not had an incident like this for 45 years. What's changed? What has happened that has changed in the last 45 years? I mean, what is this? I've heard all kinds of conspiracy theories. You know, the Chinese, they spread COVID. Now they don't want to take the responsibilities. They're trying to create this war with India. I mean, nobody creates war. War is devastating for everybody. And what is what, is, what are Chinese going to get out of it? Nothing. What is India going to get out of it? Nothing. You're going to lose hundreds of armed men because people are just 
geed, keyed up for war. I mean, war is not a game, uh, people. It's Absolutely. a very, very serious business. Economies will go bust. The whole country will come to a standstill. Hundreds of people will die. I mean, this is on on all sides. And I'm sure the army will account themselves really well. And they'll we'll probably take two for one. But what's the point? At the end of the day, there must be an objective that you're trying to achieve. What is the objective? I think the discussions on TV should be about this is what we hope to achieve. This is what we want to get out of this. If you have a target, you want to achieve something, by all means, achieve it. Then you go to war. What did we achieve in 71? Nothing. Squat. I think the maturity that we went to so many of those formations, Rocky, we shot with so many soldiers. The maturity at the ground level, I mean, far exceeds anything you see in TV studios. But you know, the one youngest, thing, youngest officer, they, I mean, nobody is saber rattling there. They understand war is a serious business. They understand that it's not just about them. It's about the nation. They understand that far better than these stupid people in TV studios. Yeah. We never heard one soldier, you know, say, oh, let's go to war, let's go to war. We're ready. They're ready for war. And because they're so confident and they're so ready, they're calm about it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I found amazing. And, you know, I, I remember over drinks in the evening at many of the messes, I was talking to some of the youngsters and I was like, what do you make? You know, they'd laugh. They'd say, we're trained for battle Yeah, We'll go to battle anytime. And if that means taking a bullet, we'll take it. I mean, the calmness with which they'd, Think of worst case scenario. Yeah, I mean, I was just amazed and that young uh, officer stands out in my mind uh, with the uh, tank regiment that we shot. Uh, he was from Kerala. Uh, I don't want to take names because I think we're not supposed to. Yeah. But I'm sure you remember the guy. He was such a calm, cool, composed cookie. And uh, he was telling us about maneuvers that they're supposed to do, things that he's going to do, which would very likely, you know, take his life in such a calm way. Hats off to those guys. Yeah, and and uh, why just uh, the officers? I mean, every person that we met at any unit that we interacted with in the Indian Armed Forces, I mean, they're very focused, very professional, but also, like you said, very calm about their way of life. I remember when just when we'd finished shooting at the Shachin Base Camp and we were about to leave, and we had one unit that had actually f spent a month, month and a half posting at the forward post, uh, which is at 16,000, 17,000 feet. I mean, their conditions are so ridiculous. If you step out of your tent, you have to hook yourself to a steel pipe and into the ground. Otherwise, the wind can take you and blow you over a, over a cliff. And they'd come back and they were burned black by that sun at that altitude. And they just made that whole trip back. And they were like so happy and jovial. I remember we sat down to them and they were like really excited because they were going to have Maggie Parantas. <laughs> and there's just that camaraderie, that jovialness, there was no this. And here, I mean, Must so many hard. people, uh, they get stuck in rush hour traffic for half an hour and stuff. And they're like, look at this, my life is so hard. I have to do this for work every day. I mean, ask those people yeah, what their life is like. I just want to add, you know, people have this misconception. Everybody in India, all this juvenile saber rattling and talking nonsense. Everybody thinks, oh, soldier's job is to die for his country. No, it's not. No. No soldier's job is to die for his country. A soldier's job is to defend the country, is if required, go to war for his country and decimate the opposition and the enemy and win that war for his country. That is a soldier's job. A hero is, just because you die for your country doesn't make you a hero. Every single guy who's up there fighting for his country, despite knowing what the conditions are, is a hero. And you don't, you don't waste heroes. You use them judiciously, expeditiously, sensibly, when all other means have failed. I mean, these are not complicated things. This whole hyper-jingoism of trying to drive 
the you know tom tom a country into this sort of hyper mood where everybody is screaming chanting war 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 this is not uh, this is stupidity this is madness and you know i'm not going to i for one i'm not going to stand for anything else except to say that before you thrust these brave men into the mouth of something which they will do they'll do their duty every time you have to think a hundred times very very responsibly and these old people sitting in studios and threatening war i mean the indian army has never taken a step back and it will never take a step back but that doesn't mean that you burn our most precious resources like this i mean war for a purpose yes war for a reason yes not just for this nonsense this is nothing yeah. i mean this is think about this very carefully what you have to do and if you if you need to go to war have a very good reason for it and that's you know that's i want to leave it at that because everything is twisted these days whatever you say is twisted around in a hundred different ways and made into something that is not so i'm just saying no sane mature nation goes to war without careful thought as to what's happening and yes if people have intruded into our country if they've taken over our territory if they are occupying our landscape let's go to war but let's get that clear in the last 10 days i've heard you know i've heard people like ajay shukla i've heard people like uh, there are two or three really good people there who've been sitting and saying look these guys have been coached into our territory and every single news anchor has been screaming about how they dare not and not a step they've taken into our country and our country is clear and they they came but they ran away back to their own side well if they ran away to their own side then what is this obviously there's been an encroachment but now are they sitting in our territory do we i mean what's the step going to be so let's get the story straight let's get the jargon straight let's understand what's happening are they inside our territory or not because everybody said they are not in the last 10 days except yeah. two or three sensible people so were they or were they not and it's sad when the jingoism kind of try to discredit the reality on the ground but you know uh, coming back to our travels across the country with these guys one of the i mean although i'm from a fauji family my dad's a retired army officer rocky's father was killed in action in the 1971 war mayur's father is with the air force retired air force officer i didn't know you know when we went to the belgaum school uh, commando training school and they said it's not unusual for every few years someone to die during training because of the extreme punishment that the body has to undergo do you remember when we had this lunch under a tree when these guys were jogging with their backpack and their gun and we said he says so during this one week they have this one week of extreme training like i think the whole thing was there for Three months or a month? I f- I forget the exact. Yeah, it was it was a thirty-five day course when we were there. It had been shortened from forty-two, and it was on the way to being shortened even more. And in those thirty-five day course, there's this one week where they average two hours of sleep a day. Hmm. They say they learn how to sleep while even marching here. And we were sitting under that tree, and they were eating. Like in ten minutes, they have to eat and then get on their feet again. And they said it's not unusual for every few years someone to actually die during this kind of training because the body can't take it after a while. No, yeah, no, absolutely. Super, yeah, super hard. In fact, if you remember, uh, they they had at the time we were there, there was, there was there was a story about one officer who had had a hairline fracture, a fracture in his leg and stuff and all. And there were like just two or three days left for the course. And he was like, if you don't finish the course, even if you're not, if if you stop at the last day of the course, you if you want to become an officer, you have to go back and do the course all over again. He said, "I'd rather do these last three days, even if it means running on a broken leg, than to have to go back and do that whole course again." I mean, that—that's the commitment. He's like, "Why should I?" He had, I a, he had a hairline. Yeah, he had a hairline fracture, and yeah. you know, his friends were helping him. He had a stick on his shoulder. He was being helped by two other people, and yeah. that's the whole—that's the whole ethos of the armed forces. Yeah, I mean, these guys are just splendid. The 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 institution that I mean, it's the greatest institution. I say it so many times. Yeah, the armed forces. are simply the greatest institution in this country 
compared to any other one yeah not yeah nothing comes even close now uh, coming a little further down towards the desert one of my most memorable experiences was at this desert with the gunners the artillery and i'm talking about this desert with just these thrushes and bushes and ye kikar type things mm. and in like 5 hours these guys created like a dining room with a table by digging up the earth around so there was the yeah. central earth was a table and i was like are you serious and in fact there will be photographs of this that will accompany this this spot the, the newsletter for this man that was and we guys were making all sorts of jokes and then suddenly the commanding officer came and we started trying to look respectable remember guys that was that was, that was so great yeah no and it's the temperatures yeah i mean when we were talking about siachen and hoz i think it, i remember it was like minus 8 or minus 9 or minus 10 when we were there and at night the wind chill used to make it minus 25 minus 28 mm. uh, when we were in the desert the daytime temperature was 49 degrees yeah, and how we used to bloody sado just for one and there was nothing tall enough to provide shade nothing so nothing like crowd on to one chair with this behind the bus seat on no that's something that the army does splendidly i mean you have to remember people have to be fed if you want strong soldiers to be fighting they have to be given good food and the kitchen unit just moves so rapidly i mean we were spending most of our time with the kitchen unit but we moved so fast i mean these guys got in there they started at 10 in the morning by 11:30 they had dug this deep trench three ways covered it with a low tent food was cooking fire was going food for a you know 500 600 men was being done it was an exercise that we were following and it was spectacular it was all set and they had cold coffee yeah i mean that how can i how can anybody forget that guys <laughs> Yeah man that was that was a trip you remember that mayor and and we had some beautiful sunset shots and this very tough looking gabru guy uh, who was talking to us and when he started talking to him he was like in his early 20s yeah i was like dude seriously all this time you know i was because of the kind of authority he had i thought he must have been in my age i was like dude i have nephews your age yeah yeah he was like 23 24 years gun position officer gpo yeah he was jeep correct and he they had this beautiful uh, you know headquarters based out of a truck and he was the gpo he was positioning the guns as to how they'd fire and what sort of battery they'll have and i mean it was a complicated process but the way they carried it out i mean we were all of us the our entire unit tried to take off the base of one of the guns you had to lift it remove the base and then you know put the gun down and i remember all of us trying and we couldn't do it and yeah. these five guys just came and they lifted it moved it out and they took the gun away and we were in shock because we thought we were like really tough man but these guys the hats off to them man they were incredible remind me is this the place where we had that evening dinner around the fire and everybody told stories yes yes including all of us with the crews and the jokes and stuff and all there was much singing also ah uh, no that what you're talking about the sit down dinner with the senior officers and all that was another no, one no no not uh, the, the one at the bonfire yeah. when everybody told uh, lots of stories and one of our crew members told a very risky story that left oh, that, no that no was, no that, that was another yeah that was another this one was when that guy sang a haryanvi song about singing to his family before he left and i think everybody was sort of had a Crying. tear in the eye at least yes. i had a tear in my eye ah uh, yeah but that's the other thing you know wherever we went i mean with very little they make themselves comfortable and they they live in style with very little I mean their style is not a shoesha heavy duty kind of thing you know four poster beds kind of thing but it's in simplicity there is a certain orderliness and there's cleanliness and you know it's just set up nicely it's just like theek hai this is what we have this is what we'll make do with 
and they do a spectacular job of it. I mean, in so many messes that we stayed in, I mean, even the Siachen base camp, for instance, it was so simple. You know, it was just a little tiny, in the room, you had one Almera, you had a few hangers, you had one table, a tiny table with three feet by three feet table with green felt on top of it, you know, which, which gave it a completely different look. And you had, uh, you know, two beds and, and it was such a clean, nice set up room. And all that they do to their mess or whatever they do, wherever they go, with very little, they're able to rustle up, you know, so much. They're able to do so much, you know. They don't yeah. stand there complaining, that's just not in their genes. Remember they had a mess, in, where was it that they had a mess inside? Of, they'd taken an old plane and converted yes, the inside that, into a mess. They can't say where it was, but this is yeah. where the Maroon Berets train. Maroon Berets are the yeah. commandos, so it's, it's the most elite force. So, speaking about creating something out of nothing, there was like this retired... Packet Fairchild, Packet Fairchild aircraft. So, they had made the staircase that goes up to the aircraft and the aircraft's basic shell. Fuselage. Fuselage. Fuselage, they had made a bar, a sit-down dinner. It was the most cool thing I've ever come across. Yeah, in fact, when we were going up, one of the guys said, this is the only aircraft in the world where before you come in, you have to have one drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the great usage. I mean, so if you don't have, let me let me put it this way. If you don't have a good kitchen with good strong food, you're going to have a weak army. They're not going to be able to fight after one or two days. If you don't have perfect hygiene, you're going to have a sick army. They're not going to be able to fight after one or two days. If you don't have discipline and organization, nobody will know what to do when the shelling and the bullets start flying. You're going to have a disorganized army, you're going to lose. If you don't have a proper system in place and an SOP for everything, people will forget what needs to be done when the bullets start flying. So the army will get disorganized and lose. These things are very basic things for any professional army. You have to cover these things. So it doesn't matter if people are sleeping in the ground. And many people were sleeping in the ground that day. I remember, you know, in the desert, it was freezing cold at night and people were sleeping in these three-foot trenches with a little drape on top of them. Even the trenches that they had dug were neat and tidy and in a pattern so that there would be minimum loss of life in case the enemy opened fire. So everything has a standard operating procedure also known as an SOP. And all these SOPs are followed. And if you don't, if morale goes down, you'll have an army that doesn't want to fight. So these things have to be kept in mind. So what the army needs is food, shelter, clothing, proper equipment, high morale, the best of what they can get so that they can go and fight effectively in, in, in the best possible manner. And nobody should forget that. And one, uh, you know, moving from the artillery and, and the high altitude to when we were shooting with the cavalry. So this is also in a desert state. And this is where the horses are. This, I think this is the only mounted cavalry unit in the country. Am I right? Or is, is there any other? This is the only no, one. I'm in the world now. This is the only one. And that's where I was born. It is the greatest place in the world. <laughs> So we I was shot born in the military hospital right there. So we, sh we went back to the place where Rocky was born and shot to the only mounted cavalry unit in the world. So they are trained on horses. It's this horses, you know. Uh, and the here, Rocky had just recovered because as you know, if you heard our past podcast of when we had gone to Meghalaya, <laughs> Rocky had broken his leg while playing basketball, jumping around, thinking he's a teenager again. And so we had to do the the Northern Command with Rocky on the wheelchair and Mayur pushing him. Eastern Command. Eastern, Eastern Air Command. Command. 
with Rocky like, in the wheelchair. It was like I had to do all the pushing, so it's burnt in my memory. Yeah, so he was so all the piece to cameras, all the sequences were done with Rocky in a wheelchair with my. With the plastic baggie around the with the plastic baggie around the thing when it was going to be rain and stuff. I remember. Yeah, so, so Rocky's knee uh, ankle had just about recovered when you're shooting the cavalry, and Rocky as as a TK saw kilo ka he he looked like a healthy boy. So I said, "Are one sequence up? Ghode pe karna hai." So Mayur to chup phudak ke chhod gaya ghode pe. Rocky's knee was uh, ankle was still not properly healed. So I said, "Up, ye ghoda hai, ten foot ka." So we are going to Rocky. I said, "Rocky, you chhod, you me, you mere, mere tank pe apna step on my leg and then step on the horse." So Rocky looks at me. He says, "Look, my, my ankle is not healed. Are you sure? Because if your if your leg, you know, wobbles." And I fall, my my leg will break again. I am not the guy who is going to be doing the the commando course on a broken leg. I said, "Don't fikar mat kar, Rocky. Yar, I am sitting with my leg. The Rocky stepped on my leg. I didn't anticipate it. Pura, na bari varka. My leg wobbled and Rocky fell. My God, the poor guy. I remember the pain. He looked at me. Remember, Rocks. What could Rocky, I say? How did he finally get you on the horse? I, then I jumped up and crawled over. And I mean, I jumped and lay on my belly and then put my feet in the stirrup. I would have done that in the first place, but you were like insisting. You were like, "Arey, don't worry, man. I'm Jan Didua, but I don't want to go." It almost came to both both those things. Both those things happened. His tongue also got my Jan. Actually, listen, 61 Cavalry was also the place where was the only case where I I uh, encountered insubordination in the Indian Army. Yeah, that guy's hair, na? No. <laughs> I'm talking about the horse when I sat on it and told it to go and it refused to move and then it turned around and walked the other way. We started the shot, Rocky and all the other horses went one way. My horse first refused to move and then turned around and went the other way. Yeah, and I I remember we were so happy because you know they give these horses a feed which is a combination of sprouted wheat germ and a couple of other things. And Mayur and I were eating that stuff. Yeah, it was really nice, man. I mean, it was filthy. It had a little bit of horse dung in it, but it was nice to eat. Yeah. We ate quite a few fistfuls. खाना दिखना चाहिए तुम दोनों को चाहे घोड़े का ही हो लिसन इंसिडेंटली दैट प्लेस आल्सो ऑफ ऑल द प्लेसेस वी शॉट एट विद ऑल द यूनिट्स वी शॉट एट ऑल अक्रॉस द कंट्री ऑन जैन दैट हैड द मोस्ट अनइंप्रेसिव लंच आई नो दैट बट इट हैड सच अ फैंसी बार या विद द पोलो द ओरिजिनल इन द शेप ऑफ पोलो द ओरिजिनल पोलो बार द बार एट द हाईएस्ट कॉल्ड द पोलो बार द बार एट देहरादून Yeah, it was lovely. They had this huge uh, layout carpet. of a polo field. Yeah, on the, the, carpet. the carpet was designed like a polo ground, and you had these little dummy players, and people would make polo strategies, etc. Because that is one of the things that the 61 Cavalry does. It sort of plays polo matches and does dressage and does tent pegging, etc. And man, those pegging guys, yeah, I mean, at a full gallop, yeah. you hold, uh, you know, you hold, uh, you hold a sort of sword in your teeth, and you have a lance in your hand, and you have. a pike tucked into your trouser into your uh, kamarband and you come down at full speed you pluck the first tent peg on the ground with a with a spear you take the sword out of your teeth and pluck the second tent peg out of the ground and then you take the pike out of your kamarband and pluck the third tent peg out of the ground yeah that was amazing man at mm. full gallop and of course tent pegging i mean cavalry the old days where horses used to go to war what a unit the cavalry used to be and the Rocky glory and rocky full gallop and they had their pagadi on ah huh? remember they yeah. had that very uh, stylish pagadi which that also didn't follow off while they did this whole thing man it was, I mean, it was incredible the guy was under the horse's belly when he was taking out the final peg mm-hmm. he was not only like tilt i mean with the with the 
with the uh, you know with the uh, spear he was tilting and with the sword he was 90 degrees and with the pike he was like almost touching the ground while yeah. doing that and every time he picked those pegs man that was incredible what a beautiful thing to watch now from from the cavalry i'd just like to go to the eastern air command this is in shillong we had one of the most other than the ima where we shot this really fancy dinner and rocky's got a picture of me cuz on the walls they have these mounted bulls and stuff so he's got a picture of me where i'm in the foreground and behind me cuz it's a low angle shot there's the bull so you can't see the bull but you can see the horns it looks like the horns are coming out of my head you got remember that picture rocky i remember, remember that shot yeah 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 send me that i don't have a copy of that picture and we showed it to me you were sitting on the table and clicking but at the eastern i command just to give you an idea of the discipline rocky is talking about while they were so warm to us they were wonderful they opened their hearts and their messages out for us after we, we were shooting the sequence of the formal dinner the bada khana i forget what it's called in the eastern air command where everyone's livery rocky and we had to come dressed formally in polished shoes now cuz i wasn't on camera rocky tied his bow tie onto his wheelchair no he, yeah, he you guys were wearing ties ties you didn't wear a tie maybe no, rocky, rocky wore a tie it was like it had to be formal uh, but you had polished shoes now i was in my track pants and keds because i'm not in front of camera i'm directing so after we shot the dinner i was like now you know now i lead so very politely around the officer said um, you have to be dressed in formal to eat here we'll serve you we'll serve you the finest food but we've laid a table for you in the other room because to eat not here not over here <laughs> you have to eat you have to be in formals so i was like okay so then i walked to the other room they had laid out a lovely dinner for me but i could not in my track pants and keds you know eat in the the main hall i was like oh, that's discipline man <laughs> they're really big on tradition you know and and i think that that's that's really good because how do you pass on a culture from one generation to the next i think it's that is those traditions and is those little nuances of how to behave and what to do and so on you know i mean those are the kinds of things which make for continuity right in any institution so like for instance even when we were shooting with the para commandos you know after that packard uh, that aircraft bar that we went to mm-hmm. when we went for the meal itself the way the meal was announced yeah everyone trooping in behind the ceo you know everyone having a designated seat at the table and then everyone keeping their hands in their lap until the ceo picked up his fork and his knife you know it's it's like it was clockwork and you know it was it's a meal that you can't i mean it's a very formal meal i don't think so <laughs> it satiated our appetites that evening after a long day <laughs> but but just sitting there and you know going through the motions you begin to realize that you know i mean how do you take a boy from a small town and turn him into a gentleman officer or officer gentleman whatever sequence you put that in i mean it's it's so remarkable that transformation of somebody is so remarkable yeah and because in an institution like the armed forces one more tradition that prashant is talking about of not being satiating your food uh, you know the senior officer sits at the head of the table and everything comes in courses so when he lifts his spoon is when you lift your spoon and when he finishes his course you have finished your course whether you have finished it or not the next course will be served so you have to pace so imagine this when you're having your soup you can't have finished your soup and you're sitting and staring at him it's rude because then it looks like you have to wait for your next and you he if he's finished it they're going to pick up your soup because the next course will come so you have to pace your pace of eating with that senior officer's pace of eating so you guys finish at the same time so the next course comes so i i think i think we need to explain it so when you have a big dinner 
it starts with a toast for the president. And some people, people who don't drink get a little bit of, you know, soft drink or juice in a small glass. And there is a head chair. The head chair is, you know, occupied by the senior most officer there. He plays the role of a president and he'll raise the toast and he'll say to the president. And then everybody cheers to the president who's the head of the, who's the sort of institutional head of the armed forces of India. And then a chair toast is said to the president and then you start and then you sit down and that's when the first course begins. And then when the head of the chair, you know, food is brought out because it's a very formal dinner, it's done in a very specific seating standard style. And when the food is brought out and it's placed in people's plates and only when everybody has been served, if there's like a hundred people, after all hundred have got food on their table, that's when the head of the table or the person sitting in the president's chair will take the first bite. And that's when the eating begins. And you can't talk across the table. So if the table is two feet wide, very narrow, and you cannot touch the other person across you, you can't talk to them because it's rude. So you have to talk to the person either your left or your right. And uh, you start eating. And then when he finishes the first course, you finish it. It's cleared. Second course comes. Third comes. So it's not really. And the first course that we view there was a small piece of bread. The second course was a little soup. Uh, and so on and so forth. So, you know, the food doesn't have to be fancy, but the methodology is beautiful. That tradition is wonderful. And and, and that Richard Prashant is saying, even a, a good commanding officer, if there's a little bit of soup left and he sees someone's soup is coming in late, he won't finish that soup until that person's last sip is there. Then he finishes the soup, though they finish it together and the next course comes. It's really beautiful tradition. That's the real intermittent eating diet. When you <laughs> yes, sit down and- for a fancy dinner with 500 people and you have to wait... And the super kindness is, you know, I was so hungry when we started the food. I was like, I was dying. And I realized that the portions will be small. So I told all the boys around me, I said, listen, you guys, man, if you have any food that you're not going to eat, please give it to me. And they were so kind that every time something came, they would put a little piece out (laughs) into my plate. (laughs) So I really ate well, yeah. And thanks to the army, I will always appreciate that generosity. (laughs) Right. Now, other than the eating... These guys also trained with the forces. Rocky, remind me, where was it? I mean, unless we can't. But what unit was it where you shot like we started these little Glock-type guns and then moved on to the MMG till we moved to that, that big-ass thing that Arnold Schwarzenegger and those, that whole magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, first started, we first started with the commandos where we trained, uh, you know, taking our guns, running a kilometer circle, then jumping into the water crossing the water with our guns above, held above our heads so that we yeah. would get them wet. Then going under the barbed wire while the machine gun was firing overhead. And that is really scary. I mean, you have to hear the bullets going over your head. It's a totally different feeling here. And then getting out and then running another half a kilometer. I, of course, was exhausted. So they carried me on a stretcher. Who In knows? fact, that is also, no, yeah. it's not just carried you. They had to simulate that if someone gets injured, how do they carry someone? So they yeah. wanted to volunteer. Who will volunteer the, as the injured person who will get carried. So Rocky volunteer. Rocky was the brave volunteer. And they were like, Isko chodki ki koi bhi aur de do because we have to finish this obstacle course. This 110 kilo guy will make us slow us down. But they carried me all the way. And then we had that really interesting obstacle course that Mayur and I were doing. Where uh, we went up, you know, 25 feet up on railings. Then we crawled down on a net. Then we went ahead. Then we did... Uh, you know, this Remote. sort of... You had to swing across some more... Jungle gym, yeah, where you had to do pull-ups and crawl yourself across. So, I, of course, cheated and when nobody was looking, tried to run under it, but the instructor caught me and said, Tumne nahi kiya. and I was like, sir, dekho, main kar bhi nahi sakta. And then Mayur, <laughs> Mayur was trying really hard and our team was all waiting for Mayur to finish because I had cheated. So, he was left. Then I went and put him on my shoulders and then he was able to do yeah, it. <laughs> Monkey bars. And they gave us a big cheer yeah, for it. Even though I had cheated and Mayur had sort of got a little bit of help. And then we went forward and we swung across the ditch and we jumped in. We went under the water, went into the pipe. 
it was a really interesting obstacle course but we did finish it by your good for us yeah, yeah except for yeah, that pull yeah, up they, they were a lot more respectful because i remember when we did the opening piece to camera i think we have a photograph of that it's pretty like rocky and i in the forefront and then at the back there's all these guys all made up and stuff and you can tell any one of, of them is very capable of killing you with a thought and, and they were very standoffish and then by the end of it when we finished and stuff we got cheers and all because i think they were really surprised they had I don't think they. I don't think anybody else had done that before. Like actually, like crawling under live wire while live fire is on and being able to compete. And there's like real, people. real bullets being fired, guys. Just so you know. But listen, where did we do that big gun firing, Rocky? I'm getting confused. You, you know the one I'm talking about. You were lying down and this. You know yeah, that yeah. gun, Ani carries with the whole magazine, like. Jodhpur, Jodhpur. We were with the, we were with the Garud commandos. Yeah, man, what a gun that was, huh? The Garuds are the commandos of the uh, uh, Mayur. You remember the Garuds? The Air Force commandos. They're the Air Force commandos, and we went and we uh, trained with them. Yeah, hand-to-hand -hand combat. I think that was my favorite memory of there is the hand-to-hand -hand combat and stuff they were training. You know, they can like just take a gun out of your hand and point it back at you in like less than a second. Yeah. Remember yeah, that guy? Give, the and give you a slap. Yeah, and give you a slap. <laughs> <laughs> So both Mayur and I volunteered, thinking that we won't let go of the guns, and we were holding them really tight. We both of us got a slap, and the next thing we knew was the guy was holding our gun, <laughs> and we were like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah, one second we didn't laga. So, so there they have these huge guns where they you lie down, and of course, I'm not very fond of guns, so I didn't go and shoot. But both of you shot that big ass gun, man. MMGs, baby, medium machine guns. We were at the firing range. And they had the MMGs lined up, and we let go with them. I mean, there were ten targets. By the time we finished firing a magazine, I mean, the full sort of roll of the MMG, the targets had been cut into half. There was nothing left in the in the target zone. That is a lethal weapon. I think it fires like some ridiculous number of bullets here, yeah, like five hundred, six hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred, something like that. Bullets per they minute. Said if you t touch the trigger at any given time, four go. So it's like if you just touch it, touch the trigger once and release. It's like Four bullets have gone. So if you keep it there, they're like sixteen bullets going every two seconds or some shit like that. I, I, he had given some calculation. I don't recall. Yeah, it's it's some big number. Miniature cannon shells, yeah. The bullets themselves, they're like four five inches long. Yeah, they're huge bullets. Yeah, one of those would like, take one of them can easily cut down a man. Yeah. Yeah, and that's you know people are thinking about shooting all these things, but they're not thinking about advancing when these things are shooting at you because you have to remember it's a two way street. So the these guys, I mean, when they face that kind of fire, knowing what these weapons can do, those are fearsome weapons. And I mean, we we use their pistols in their pistol firing range. Then we went to the uh, AK, I mean, the automatic weapon range where we were firing the Insass rifles, and that was great. We taught, we learned how to take apart the Insass and put it back together, blindfolded. You remember that, Mayur? You remember our timing? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember we we took them apart, but I don't remember the timing. How did we do? Okay. We, yeah, we did okay. We we did like under a minute. Yeah, I think you know one of us did it in like 52 seconds, and the other one did it like in 65 or something like that. But we finished it in respectable times. I mean, they were of course doing it like 12 seconds and all that stuff. We aren't just about fast food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at at that same place, I remember. Like I said, I'm not too fond of guns, but they also have this for the beginners. This course where you have to you're simulating getting out hostages into this house, which they have this make believe house with these. Targets, fake targets, like they have like, the child and the parent, and then the you know the kidnapper or the terrorist. So I mean, of course, it is to make sure that you don't shoot the wrong person. And they give you these guns, which are these with pressure, and they shoot paintball, paintball, paintball guns. guns. So I took the paintball gun and went through that course. I think I shot a few kids. Yeah. 
<laughs> you did. I am sure you did. But that was really impressive because I, for one exercise, I was the captive, and I was sitting in a room surrounded by two guys and three other people. And before I knew it, these guys were in, and all the captives were dead. And I was like, "Yeah, much guy." <laughs> and uh, it was fabulous. Yeah, I mean, the training that these guys go through is really professional, really incredible, and really fantastic. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I've always, every time I've interacted with the armed forces, and we were so lucky to do Jehind with them. I think we did. How many how many episodes of Jehind did we do, guys? Do you remember? Twenty four episodes. Twenty four episodes, and I think we did like two two episodes in three or four places. So we did over twenty units of the Army, Navy, and Air Force. Yeah, yeah. that was a real honor, yeah. real honor, and a real sort of you know. I, I mean, I've never had such a glorious time in my life. I mean, that's the only word I can use for it. You know, I even if even when we go back to let's say the Ghatak course that we did in in uh, North Karnataka. I don't know if you guys remember when yeah. we, were, we did the Ghatak course, and they have that Lido jump where you dive into the water, yeah. swim, climb. In fact, we put that in the one of the we put photographs of that, and uh, you guys in one of the past um, newsletters, it's there. Rocky doing that Lido jump in L position. Yeah, we'd spoken about it, and when Mayur and I both successfully completed the Lido jump with great difficulty and personal risk, and we came out, and the and the general who was observing us was like. Are if these boys can do it, yeah, then all our boys can do it easily. We have to make it more difficult. And we were like <laughs> half dead over there. <laughs> we were like, sir, kya baat kar rahe ho, sir? <laughs> but uh, before we wind up with a huge thank you to our forces for doing what they do, in spite of many odds, some physical, some emotional, and some, you know, for a nation that is grateful. Uh, though I'm sure there are many people who are not grateful. But in spite of all that, those who do it, before we wind up, you guys want to give us. one last anecdote each from these 24 glorious episodes that we had for me one of the biggest highlights was being on the aircraft carrier we were we were really lucky you know because we had a lot of time we had requested uh, the uh, the navy to be on the aircraft carrier and the navy was doing a shoot firing demonstration and they had invited uh, press from all over the world and senior officers from friendly countries to sh- take them out on the aircraft carrier and show them how the aircraft carrier works and do a demonstration for them and we were on board luckily i mean for uh, two nights we were there and we shot two episodes on the aircraft carrier and that was the greatest sort of privilege of my life in fact i was you know talking to the uh, talking to the senior officer there and i was telling him that i've been firing guns and i've really enjoyed firing different ones and uh, he said what's the biggest gun you fire and i fired and i said well i shot a bazooka and he said oh nothing we'll make you fire a big gun come on and i was so thrilled because i was like my god i'm going to fire one of these giant guns on the aircraft carrier and he took me to the engine room and then we all sat there and then there was a countdown and he said on zero get ready you see this button i was like yeah 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 and he was like okay on zero you press it and i went 10 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 2 1 and i pressed the button and he was like okay now go and i was like what you like what your five stories underneath the gun you're not going to feel it or hear it is a giant city yeah the aircraft carrier <laughs> but you just fired the biggest gun of your life now go and i was like so cheated i was like ye kya hua kuch dikha bhi nahi kuch pata nahi but it was a thrill yeah you prashant i just i mean for me it's just you know every time i think of our trips on jehind i mean i'm just filled with gratitude for how openly they just welcomed us into their formations you know they were they were welcoming they were open with us you know they gave us information they gave us time it was just such a humbling experience that these people have so many important things to do and yet you know they're interacting with us and they literally i mean it, it wasn't like 
it wasn't superficial you know it wasn't like hearty guy and we have to be nice to them they were genuinely they were keen to talk to us and explain to us things and what they do and how they do and so on you know so for me it was it was always like it was a feeling of deep deep gratitude for for having gone into their sacred space and been received there and you know spent two days or two nights with them and come back but i remember this uh, for me i think one of the things that really stands out in my head was again from the siachen base camp you know we this was just a typical evening we were just hanging around near the helipad and this message came that some porter had i think he had severed a finger or something while wrapping up some uh, supplies for the post and he needed evacuation and it was already turning dark and the clouds were rolling in and i remember how quickly this army aviation corps pilot you know he jumped into his chetak and he was he just flew out here it was already 5:36 it was going to get dark i mean this was an extremely risky operation he took but he knew that if he didn't get there in time and get this porter out not even a soldier but a porter out you know he'd probably lose his finger for good his thumb for good and he just flew out and you know he returned in about 40 minutes with this boy and it was already turning dark by the time he landed which was a very very risky operation he did but he just did it and and you know it just struck me that these guys are just amazing yeah i mean it's like they they just know what needs to be done and they just go out and do it you know they're not intellectualizing the whole affair you know we can understand a lot of things intellectually but when you have to go out and do something that's quite another thing yeah he just went out and did it and you know and, and then went and had his dinner and had a drink and had a laugh in the mess and it was all in the day's work you know I mean, so i mean these little little incidents sort of stick in my mind i don't remember his name but he's such a remarkable youngster who just got into his chetak flew out and you know he had to do this alone because he was bringing a person back with him and at that altitude the chetak can't fly three people so there was mm. nobody else he was flying out alone to that post and coming back with this porter and he did that and while he was going he carried two canisters of uh, kerosene also for the post you know why not you had a remarkable people there they're just remarkable mayonnaise so i i i never do uh, like doing one so i'll but i'll do two quick ones one beautiful memory is is uh, rocky and i sitting at uh, the end of one of the nights that we were out in the aircraft carrier and we just sat at the back of the aircraft carrier and was it the poop deck rock or either the quarter deck or the poop deck we just sat there yeah poop deck yeah and the giant propellers of the carrier were like uh, agitating all these the, the the plankton in the in the ocean and we had these brilliant bursts and explosions of like pink light and green light it was almost like bombs going off under the water in this fluorescent wake of the carrier and then the second memory really beautiful memory i have is we'd finished dinner up in at the siachen base camp we stepped out and i remember looking up because i love mountaineering i love the mountains as does prashant and i just remember that sky with with just clear clean cold mountain air and a million stars and i i remember just stopping and looking up at that so that that's those are beautiful memories now a lot of the people in the armed forces and all of them they serve under such hard conditions they don't have this luxury and the comfort of coming home to like their family and their kids and seeing them every night and having the pleasure of anything except a very hardcore routine and these are the small things that they have to this the camaraderie with with their colleagues their brothers and arms this is what they have to draw on this is what keeps them going day after day when they stuck in these remote remote places and in conditions that you wouldn't put your worst enemy in but and they do it willingly and they do it happily so so my salute to them and and my prayers go out to everybody who is serving 
our nation in the defense of our country and uh, that's that's all i have to say no it's, it's fantastic can i can i just add one more before you go niku very quick one sure go rocks uh, with the ladakh scouts i don't know if you remember this we had to do a shoot where there was a long rope hanging and we had to swing from one wall to the other wall and these really strong ladakhi boys i mean they were like you know 55 kilos each fit as a horse i mean they came running jumped up caught the rope swung across and i was too cold so i was wearing my big thick gloves and i jumped and grabbed the rope and swung across and when i landed i looked at my hands and my glove was torn you know the, the the it was so cold that the glove had become sort of frozen and holding that rope you know had just ripped the glove open it was and the rope was frozen as well and it was it must have been like minus 10 and these guys were just handling it their, their hands and feet are like leather and i turned to mayur and i said mayur you'll need gloves and before i could you know sort of either of us could react mayur had jumped and grabbed the rope and swung and the whole chunk of his palm had come off yeah mayur you remember that yeah a big thick chunk of skin from his yeah. palm just ripped off with that cold thing yeah. and of course he couldn't fall so he swung across but when he reached oh the horrible injury and that's you know sort of how hard their lives are so so if you before you say anything about a soldier before you make fun of anything or before you grudge him anything that he gets put yourself in that situation boss you won't even last one day in a in just in training forget about lasting in a fight i mean that is day after day after day the mental physical emotional trauma that you go through and it is trauma these boys are trained for it yeah. they are the finest of this country they are the greatest individuals that this country produces and hats off to each and every single one of them each and every single time yeah. i i cannot say it enough the one uh, you know which is not a very action oriented memory but just to give you an idea you know when you're shooting especially as as the producer or director you're always stressed a you know you may have a clumsy ankle who will break a bone <laughs> <laughs> or, or you'll have some you know disaster strike and you know your your foot will get erased or you lose some equipment or you lose a mic and in those days when you know we were still struggling we weren't you know so so established as a production house we were shooting with the commandos and i remember we had to move from one place to the other you know from shooting across the lake and i remember it started raining also so there was rain happening and there was shooting then from that we had to move to the steeple course kind of that obstacle course then we had to move to where you had to jump so all the it was very swift from one place to the other and whenever you shoot like that especially over such a huge area where there are forests there are lakes you end up losing equipment and i'd always be running around i'd say you know you know have i'd 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 tell sunil you know have you checked this i'd tell our our wonderful poet assistant that have you checked this so do you remember this uh, major and and you said he has a look of a killer in his eye do you know the guy with light eyes yes yes i yes. recommend us uh, so i won't take his name and he said uh, you're always very stressed what's the problem i said you know if i just lose any equipment here the shoot will get ruined so he looked at me very calmly he said i guarantee you even if there is one screw of your tripod missing before you leave this i will have it found and this is not one house he said anywhere on this bloody campus i don't know how many acres he says if there's anything that is missing you will not leave this area without every single screw of your equipment so relax or be delayed because of it so and you know the confidence with which he said it was so reassuring and i was like that's a kind of reassuring sentiment and emotion that these guys can can invoke in you so yeah thanks to them and yeah. good on them for doing what they yeah. do i just hope we as a nation deserve their commitment on that note we will be back 
next week with another state hopefully things would have calmed down by then hopefully we would not have lost any more lives and hopefully our braves would be guarding our country but would not have to lose their lives doing so uh so until then uh, we will leave you and uh, should we give them a food court we cannot leave without the food court the army has their sop we have our sop well said we will eat whatever the army gives us whether it is a dry piece of bread or a grand meal of many courses we will tip our hat and raise a cheer and salute the indian armed forces have mayonnaise the nationalists now say hindi chini no bye bye and yet when no one's looking you will probably find them eating bye bye noodles that's nepalese as far as i know <laughs> yes bye bye by the way nepalese but right now they are also out of favor so it's fine right now yeah we are having trouble there also we having you put yourself in harm's way be it a desert a forest or a hill station be safe and hope you're back with those you love thanks from a grateful nation on that wah prashant tu bhi aaj bol hi de yaar ek food court main to i'm i'm speechless that is my food court <laughs> you're also bald your hair is got fuzz now little bit of fuzz you've got they, they i'm like i'm a cadet this is the crew cut i wish i i wish i were a cadet prashant you can say i'm speechless i have nothing of note but if i could say something beautiful the forces would get my vote you are my man mayura yahi main kehna chahta tha prashant was going to say this only how did you read my mind ekdam is even your mind was covered there's no hair in the way it's much easier to read your mind without the interference of the mayura mayura is going to be doing the food court for two people now so until next week thank you gentlemen good night sleep well Good night. Toodle loo, old chaps. Catch you next week. Bye bye, tata. Bye. All the news laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.